The audio from today's episode is from No Putts Given, our new weekly YouTube show. Check it out at youtube.com slash mygolfspy. So today, we've got Harry Nodwell, two-sport All-American and director of soft good testing at mygolfspy. We've got Samuel Robinson, former golfer of the year from the CAC and also director of hard good testing at the LabX mygolfspy test facility. And over here, we've got Tony Covey, editor of My Golf Spy, and I'm Adam Beach, the owner of My Golf Spy. So, let's jump right into this week's, mm-hmm. uh, and we got Kevin Na as the winner of the Charles Schwab Challenge, right? Finished his last putt, won a car, which was cool, won a million bucks, but also a yep. car, not and bad. gave, not bad, gave the car to his caddy. He pointed straight to him as soon as he held the putt. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So, it was a 1973 Dodge Challenger. And a little backstory on it, it was a Challenger because it's called the Charles Schwab Challenge. Mm-hmm. And it was a 1973 model because that was when Charles Schwab was incorporated as a business. Do you think they talked about that? Do you think they discussed that? Caddy said, if you win the car, I get the car. They did. Yeah, they did. Actually, right, so that was a deal before yeah, that was a deal. the tournament started? Yeah. yeah, I think they happened either before or first round. Yeah. He had talked about wanting that car. And, Man, just uh, a few years ago, Kevin Knott couldn't hit a damn golf ball. Stood over the ball for a long time. Yeah, that was pretty funny. It was, it was hard good. to watch, but man, he's come a long way. Won three times now on the tour. So mm-hmm. good for him. Yeah. So um, talking about caddies, there's been a lot of discussion about caddies this year with the whole Kuchar thing and all this stuff, right? So um, caddies in general, you guys have all played with them, played without them. What do you think? Like I know you just played in the pro pure yeah, silk pro am, the, the Kings Mill, the pure silk pro am at Kings Mill. We had a caddy. It was like a it was like a riding caddy. So he rode our our bags around and just brought us clubs. But man, I, I played really well. And I think one of the things I I can attribute that to was the fact that I didn't have to worry about grab my clubs where my clubs were. You know, the cat the guy came up and said, "What do you want?" I I'd tell him the distance. He'd bring me four or five clubs and I'd tell him what I wanted. And then Sam was dancing on the course half mm-hmm. the time. Um, so he was obviously <laughs> focused on one thing that was golfing. Just so everyone knows, I think they finished second. We finished. We won the the morning wave. Um, I guess there was an overall championship that we didn't win. I would have bet you would have shot 64 or 65 that day if you were on your own ball. I mean, you were literally hit no bad shots that yeah. day. Um, so you got to play with Laura Davies and Carolyn Masson. Right? Yeah, yeah. And Laura Davies, pretty cool. We'll get to that a little bit later. But um, before we do, um, Tony, have you had a caddy before? I know you've done it in PXG a couple times and, you know, what are your thoughts on that versus kind of nowadays the Arcos caddy for amateurs? And yeah, I mean, look, I don't, I don't. The closest thing to competitive golf I play is in a club championship from time to time. So, I mean, my my experience with caddy is limited to events and resort courses and things like that. So, you know, I I'm I'm content to use a rangefinder in Arcos, but I think uh, at a at a higher level, uh, it's it's probably more beneficial to have somebody helping you out. Yeah, we need to do a test where we independently test the same golfer, maybe Tony, and see 20 rounds at McGregor Country Club without a caddy. 20 no, rounds. No caddy last 20 rounds with me. <laughs> I think it'd be cool to see how much of a difference it actually makes for an amateur, and it would be cool to see a pro golfer go out there and do it without a yeah, caddy. Yeah, it would be cool. Uh, but you were talking about it earlier, like how much value is in a caddy? And um, somebody was talking about one of the pro guys this morning, and his caddy and asking if 10% was a fair number. And he said, hell yeah, 10% is a fair number. I mean, mm-hmm. it's my ride or die guy. It's my guy out there, the only guy that's telling me what to do and allowing me to focus on what I'm best right. at, right? Yeah, and you were kind of mentioning that earlier. It was like, 
And we all kind of have a caddy in our life in some aspect. When I'm going through the data with Tony, Tony's kind of like my caddy. We're bouncing ideas off each other. And just like in competition, when you're deciding on a distance or trying to read a putt, it's great to have that second opinion yeah. and really get you know some validation. And, and it helps you make better decisions, I think. Yeah, for sure. And it helped Nob move on to win a tournament and win over a million dollars. So um, that being said, I always think it's cool. We always look at like the guy that wins and say, how much did he win, right? A million dollars is a, a literal shit ton yeah, of money, right? I mean, any of us would... <laughs> Right. I'm <laughs> fine with that. But even the guy that finished last of the people that made the cut, 73rd place this weekend, uh, won a decent amount of change. I mean, go around and guess what you think he won. 10 grand? 10. 20? 20. What do you think, Tony? Uh, 15. 15? Well, all of you guys are pretty close. I mean, Graham McDowell finished 73rd place and made 14162 bucks. How much money did you make this weekend? <laughs> I actually spent more money. <laughs> you lost I money didn't this make any of this. I made $59 in our Saturday scramble. Sweet. What'd you shoot? 67. 67. I played well. It was off the Reds. Off the Reds there. The Red Tees? Yeah. Yes. We moved up to you. Sam can play a little golf, so both these guys can. Um, so now let's get into Kevin Nye's kind of what's in the bag. So obviously he's sponsored, for those who don't know, by Callaway Golf. So he's got a bag full of Callaway stuff. What's interesting is not the Callaway gear as much as it is for a lot of these guys on tour, they get a couple spots that they get to pick. So they're not 14 club deals oftentimes, so they get to pick maybe a putter, a wedge, and a hybrid, for example. Um, in this case, the, the product that really pops out is one of Tony's favorite, and that's the PXG 317X Gen 2. And Tony's been a, you know, he's raved about their hybrids for years. Tony, what are you, what are you liking about the PSG hybrids? Everything. Everything. No. <laughs> um, I, I like, again, it's a, it's a more compact shape than we, we generally see in a lot of hybrids. It's not, so I think hybrids have generally gotten bigger over the years. So it, it's, you know, it's not an Adam's peanut, but it's, it's slightly small. It just looks right at a dress. That's how I would put it. And I, me personally, I see more of an iron like ball flight with it. Uh, so I can, I can, happily replace it all the way up to a five iron and at, at times i've been thinking about even adding a six hybrid to the mix so i mean it's just a really good all-around hybrid and, and as you and i have discussed there's there's brands that that sort of do what they're known for right TaylorMade is known for drivers callaway to an extent is known for drivers and you have brands that are sneaky good in some categories and PXG from the very first one has made sneaky good hybrids and you're, you're dealing with a category that a lot of people don't talk about anyway. So it's, it's easy for a really good hybrid to get overlooked. And so I think the fact that somebody like Kevin Na, who's putting this in the bag, presumably without any contract whatsoever, right? So this is a non-contract PXG hybrid in the bag. I mean, I think, I think that that's a great point. So to interrupt you really quickly, let us, let's focus on, you and I have talked about this for, I don't know, Tony, going on six, seven years. We never really wanted to cover what's in the bag from the tour because we don't think that golfers should pay that much attention to what's in the bag of Kevin Nye or whoever. But I do think every week, if you started looking at it with a more objective eye and go, okay, Player X is sponsored by Company Y. Let's eliminate those products, right? And let's look at the products that he's not sponsored to play. Because those are the products that I think golfers should maybe pay more attention to. Would you agree with that, Tony? Yeah, to a degree, certainly. I mean, it, it's sort of, yeah. I mean, it's it's what's not paid that 
that is certainly more interesting, right? You, you know he's going to play Callaway product because Callaway pays him to play Callaway product. And those, those contracts like that are all over the PGA Tour. But when you have, you know, one, two spots available in a bag where, where a player has, has not signed away complete freedom, uh, it, it's interesting to see how those spots get filled. For sure. Just talking about it last week, Brooks Kepka, perfect example. He's plays whatever he thinks is best and, and it's any, working out pretty well. Yeah, no shit. I think he's doing all right. Yeah, I mean that came about because of the whole Nike thing, you know. Yeah. Um right. and it left a lot of people out there to do what he's doing. Um but I think a couple more years down the road and all those guys are gonna eventually move somebody. I mean you see that sure. what's the guy's name? Harold Barner. Um mm-hmm. just yeah. signed today with Callaway. He was yep. I think an independent before that. Uh, he was a strict sign. Really? He'd been, he'd been playing Strix on Irons for a long time. Yeah, I don't know if they... I'm not 100% sure on that, on that one. But he right. just went to Callaway today. So um, one other interesting change from a, talking equipment on tour was Jordan Spieth. Now, he struggled of late a little bit, but seemed to get it back a little bit this weekend. And he made a big switch in his bag, and that was to the Fujikura Ventus, which, if you don't know, we just literally last week mm-hmm. did a review of. And... Yeah, and you know shafts are are an enigma to a lot of golfers. There are these cool paint jobs, these random names, and every year you hear one kind of catch fire. Uh, but there's not a lot of new technology talk that goes on in the in the shaft space. And this year, the Fujikura Ventus uh, has a new story, tech story. Tony, what is that really for golfers? What is this shaft going to do for the average golfer more so than any other shaft? Well, without jumping into the, the technology, it's basically the, the talking point is tighter dispersion that comes from tighter impact patterns, which all begins with, again, that construction. It's a design that Fujikura says is more resistant to twisting. Normally, when we say that, we're talking about just kind of a low torque tip. But Fujikura says, and what certainly uh, I think a number of golfers are seeing, is it's just more stable throughout the length of it. So when you have the shaft twisting less, you're going to have more consistent impact, and, and that's what we're seeing. That's part of why Jordan Spieth made the change as well, apparently. So it's yeah, not, not completely in, shocking. What that results in is better. You're going to hit the sweet spot more often, right? So tighter strike uh, yeah. strike efficiency, which these guys shoot in the 60s. Tony and I don't for a reason, right? We don't have as tight as you know pattern as these guys do. And if that can help us, you know, average golfer miss hits all over the face. Yeah. If we can start tightening that up, you know, hopefully we can get scores closer to these guys. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm playing it. Too. I'm playing it. Yeah. Yeah. Seven. A seven you're playing eight. it too, aren't you, Tony? Oh, yeah. 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 So, and you're not being paid to play the Ventus, are you? I do not get paid to play the Ventus. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> they, may, they may actually start paying me not to. <laughs> Stay hot. The Patrick Reed contract. I think one of the most interesting stories from the tour this weekend was from a guy named Ken Tanagawa. Yes. And when I tell you why, you're going to say, who gives a shit, right? But we're going to tell you it matters, and here's why. He, he won, I think he's the first person to win with a yellow Pro V1 ball, right? High viz. High viz. Yellow. Right. It's non-white, right? Yeah. So other than Bubba Watson, if you remove him from the color spectrum of yeah. what gets played on tour... A yellow ball was looked at as a, there you go. I mean, that is a new trend on tour. And when Titleist does something, they don't do something that is going to push the envelope. They do something once it's proven, right? So that was a sign to me and everyone else that this is here to stay. 
Uh, this is no longer a putt-putt ball. These balls are just as good as the white balls. And granted, we did see some differences in testing from some of the matte golf balls, which are yeah, colored that, that have kind of a dull... Doesn't spin as much. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, Tony, why do you think the, Pro, the yellow Pro V1 is a big deal? We wrote about it a few months ago when it first came out. Why does this matter to golfers? Yeah, it's, uh, so if you look at the market right now, we say colored golf balls, which would include you know, yellow, all the matte stuff, the, the Callaway Truvis, and I guess the tailor-made picks now, uh, upwards of you know, plus or minus 20% of the market. And I think, I think it's that low. I mean, 20 is not a bad number, but I think it's, it's that low because the tour still drives things, and there is, to a degree, a lack of credibility on, on tour with yellow. You know, Bubba made the switch to the yellow Volvic, didn't play particularly well, so obviously that didn't sort of advance the the colored category. And now that you're starting to see more as, as some of the, you know, certainly not a huge number, but a handful of Pro V1 guys switched to yellow, it, it's starting to gain credibility on tour. And so as that, as use increases and that credibility picks up, I think you're going to see more guys walk into retail shops and go, yeah, this is a serious golf ball. This is a real golf ball. Real golfers will play a yellow ball. Yeah. I mean, do you also think that it's uh, an attempt to grow the game with all these different colors to attract different golfers? I'll to grow I, the I, game? I, 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 I think, think it's an attempt to sell more golf balls. <laughs> what did he say? He said, I think it's an attempt to sell more golf balls. But let's, let's bring that back to, like, this exact table. Tony and I, older demographic. Yeah. You guys younger, right? Do you guys... Does colored golf balls shock you at all at this point, at your age? It doesn't shock me. It makes it... I mean, the trend with the younger generation, they want something to stand out, to be different than everyone else. But what I'm saying is, when you look at somebody playing a colored golf ball in your group of younger people, do you go, what the hell is that? Cause Not anymore. Than... Not anymore. But you, you did. would. Yes. But I was just going to say, going around my club this weekend, a bunch of the guys that I play with play the yellow golf ball, and they're all old dudes they can see that ball much better than they can a white ball, especially on those cloudy days when the ball gets up in the air and it's overcast. Yeah. They'll lose the ball pretty easily. And if you can't see the ball... Look, at the end of the day, I think the purpose of this discussion, for me at least, is this. Who gives a damn what the color right. of the golf ball is? Yeah. Stop worrying you. about it. If you yeah. want to play yellow, play yellow. You want to play purple, play yeah. purple. Um, play whatever you want to play, but this is just another sign that, look... There are real golfers playing these balls now, like mm -hmm. professional golfers, and they're winning with it, right? So play whatever you want, you know? Be your own brand. I agree. Be your own color. Um, next, what I want to talk about is a category called Shot of the Truth. And for you guys that are new to this show, and it's new to us, obviously, this is a chance for us to discuss something, you know, every week, every few weeks, about kind of what's going on as a trend in the industry, good, bad, and different, and elevate the conversation. It's not to throw anyone under the bus. It's to bring, elevate the conversation and pretty much just see where everyone is on this. And this week I want to talk about social media influencers and brand ambassadors. This was a category or marketing trend literally started by the Kardashians. Um, Kim Kardashian and her family uh, really made this what it is. So... To explain a little bit about what they are, what this is, first, just go to Instagram when you get a second and scroll two or three thumbs worth and tell me how many products and two or three or services are trying to be crammed down your throat on what you should give a damn about, right? Yeah. And at the end of the day, uh, they are 
social media influencers, brand ambassadors are people hired by, by a brand to basically say nice things about that brand, which that's marketing. We get it. Um, but what it basically means and the problem that might be arising from it, I'll put Harry in a situation real quick. Let's say, Harry, you have been on Instagram for five years and you were just your normal profile. Right. And you started gaining a following. Let's say you've got 50,000 followers now after five years of posting stuff for free, mm -hmm. especially in those nice jackets and things you wear on Instagram. <laughs> and, and your modeling photos. Yeah, and your modeling photos. And a company comes to you that you don't believe in, mm -hmm. that you think they actually mm -hmm. might be harmful to other people, and said, Harry, I want to pay you $50,000 next year to be a brand ambassador for X company. And what are you going to say? You're going to say yes because you're already doing that work. You're just going to, you're going to get money for it. Well, you're doing that work, but now you're going to do but work you, for them. But you're still going to post the same amount with just that thing. But in you're the, going to say what they want. Yes, exactly. Say. Yes. Right. So for 50 grand, of course, you're going to do that. To some degree, you have just sold your soul yes. for $50,000. And here's the interesting thing. When we go around and talk to people that are doing this in golf, it shocked me. I talked to some, you know, a guy in the top 100 teachers in the world. I talked to people that everyone else out there would know about if I said their name. Most of them are getting paid zero dollars. Okay. Mm -hmm. Most of them are getting free swag, which is free gear from the company. The more influential ones, the ones that are having to post a massive amount of stuff about products over and over and over, the top pay, payout that I have heard so far is $2,000 a year. Two grand. Two grand. Okay. Now, these are people out there putting out, saying, buy these products, buy these products, buy these products. For more often than not, nothing. Free gear. Yeah. Right? So, what do we think about that? Is that hurting or helping? And this is happening not just in golf, it's happening everywhere. So what do you think, Sam? Do you think this is helping or hurting? Because we test a lot of product in here. A lot of the product that is getting a social media following by social media brand ambassadors tests the worst in our facility. And these people come at us with pitchforks, and it's obvious why. They're yeah. being paid to do that to some degree or free swagged out to do that. But if we're trying to rise, make the cream of the crop rise to the top, Yet, these companies that might make an inferior product are paying people to say they're not an inferior product. Do you think that's influencing consumers in a negative or a positive way? Absolutely, and I don't, I don't know that my golf pie would exist if that kind of stuff wasn't happening. If you didn't have the other side, people saying, this is a good product, we have to be the guys that say, no, no the hell it's not. Well, we're a filter of the bullshit, That's what right? I'm saying. So... What do you think, Tony? I mean, you've been, you and I have been doing this 10 years. You were here before that was a thing, and so was I. And then you just recently went to a brand party not too long ago, a few <laughs> months ago, that went from all media, meaning three years ago, all those people that would have been at that event were all media people, to now they're all social media influencers, and you were the outlier. So one what of do you the, think? One of a couple outliers, for sure. Yeah, what do you think about that, that trend, that change? So I don't know that it's it's necessarily it's certainly a trend. I don't know if it's a, a change. Um, I think it's it's in an addition, right? So you know, I'm sure it's, it's true for other areas, but with respect to the golf market in particular, right? Golf companies have figured out there are more there are multiple markets that exist. So you know, we you and I have, have talked about numerous times. We almost exclusively serve the performance-driven golfer, right? The guy that 
that's going to buy something, hopefully, because it performs better for him. And you know, not to go too far off track, but hopefully we learn that through a, a full and proper fitting, right? That That's ideal. You're going to find the product that performs the best for you. But there's the other side of it, right? You have you have PXG to a degree, which is trying to, to exist as, a, as almost like a status or an, an elite position product, right? So that's a different market that, that companies are trying to tap into and reach. And then you have what is really the social media influencer game, which is really buy this because it's cool, right? So theoretically, you follow somebody on social media to a degree or, or certain people on social media because you think they're cool. And if they're out there representing a product, that product becomes cool by extension and people want what's cool. So, you know, that's, and the guy who wants something because it's cool isn't necessarily the guy who wants something because it, it performs the absolute So there's, there's two different true. type of people, right? There's people like, um, even myself, for example, I'm all about data and, you know, putting, telling you this putter will help you this much, but, you know, look at a wall of putters that I've collected. Now, granted, I don't putt with them, but I like collecting things too. So there's not, there's two sides. There's us telling you about performance and then there's the people out there that want to be cool. And we hope to find products that are perform cool or perform good and are kind of cool. And I just think that, I guess the interesting thing is just recently we've tested some categories where probably the products that have the most brand ambassadors perform the worst in our test, right? And it just kind of shocked me. Like perceptually they are out there and people are saying these products are great. And they're inferior products. And it's obvious when you put them to the test against the rest in the category. So it just started getting my head thinking like, are these helping golfers or hurting golfers? You know, are they putting bad products in people's bags or are they just about being cool? Yeah. And is that a bad thing necessarily? And then uh, if you look at it from the, the perspective of the, the social influencer, right? It's like, hey, I'm company A. I want to send you some product. Can you make a post about it? I'll give you $500 worth of free stuff. Sure. That's easy. It's it's two minutes to make a post on Instagram. For us, we get companies sending us that kind of stuff all the time. And we always go through this period of, do we, is this product worth telling people about? Because we, we want to make sure that we're only backing products. That Great point. We had buy. a company not too long ago that wanted to give us a lot of money to promote their product. And we told them our process. They kind of laughed because they didn't understand why we wouldn't take the money. Right. And then when we tested the product, it didn't check our boxes of performance, yep. you know? And we said that we, we're not going to do that because the product's just not good enough. And they literally just sat there in silence and went, well, what do you mean? And I go, well, we're not going to accept your money to sponsor your product um, because that's the way I think it should be. Right. The way it really is, is the way what you're seeing now on Instagram. And it's interesting that it's happening, uh, but obvious because if someone is going to pay you five, ten thousand dollars $10,000, there are very few people that would turn that down. Right? Very much, yeah. So I guess it's just, it's one of those things where I always envision like Michael Jordan or something. And as someone that, you know, we eat pretty healthy around here, seeing like a Michael Jordan sponsored Diet Coke or something, you know, and you go, man, like seriously, you need, did you need that money that bad? Um, so I don't know. Like, Harry, what do you think? You think it's good or bad for the industry? I think it's t terrible for the industry. I mean, yeah. you put in, just in the golf related um, aspect, it's, you're putting products and people, well, you're influencing people on products that will not be beneficial to your game. Like, granted, it's a lottery ticket. It might be 
but nine times out of ten, it's not going to be beneficial and to your game. Sometimes you you got to think like, does this person not even realize the kind of influence that I have over people that see my content? Well, I guess it'd be interesting to hear what the people watching this think. You know, like, do you think instead of blind like blindly following some social media influencers' endorsement, should people follow a more rational buying process? Right. Yes. Um, you know, you tell us what you think, yeah. but hey, it's a dirty money, and I mean, it's a dirty world, and that money make it spin, man. You know what I'm saying? Next, we're gonna no, talk I about. Don't know what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand that at all. It's a, it's a dirty world, and money makes it spin. Yes, we. That that makes complete sense. I know the way you said it, I didn't understand. <laughs> Cut that. Cut that. Then get it out of here. All right. Well, so we next leave up, that in. Jesus. Yeah, we gotta definitely leave that in. <laughs> All right. So next up, we have new releases. So new product and new gear out there uh, that you'll start to see soon, both tested inside the facility and out there on the PJ Tour. And for y'all that did not see it, Titleist came out with a new driving iron and hybrids this weekend. And the driving irons were interesting. They're called the U500 and U510. And before we get to our expert, Tony Covey, on equipment, Sam, what did you hear about right when you saw this? <laughs> Yesterday, I was at the gym, and uh, one of the assistant pros of a club that I go to texted me. He goes, Title's making P790s now? So, yeah. you know, they, look, exactly they the look a lot like them P790s, dog. So every time somebody releases a club, Tony and I have heard this for 10 years, somebody's going to say it looks like this. But in this case, it looked like that. Uh, it definitely looks like a tailor-made to some degree. Is except, there speed foam in it? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but, Tony, what do we know right now about the new Titleist uh, 500 and 510 driving iron? Uh, above and beyond what's in front of us, nothing. I mean, this is this is how Titleist does things. Uh, they've been doing it this way for a while. They kind of get it out on tour. They don't say much about it. Uh, and eventually they'll start leaking out more formal information. So this is this is more of their teaser you know, this exists, here's what it looks like, we'll tell you more about it later, but, you know, a lot of this stuff is predictable at this point, right? If there's two models, there's, it's going to be forgiveness, workability, comp more compact than the other. Predictable for the sort of golf guru, but for those of you guys <laughs> that don't hear about this, read this stuff every day, if you've ever heard the term spy pick or a new product that's coming out, it's a pretty interesting process, right? Look at that picture. That's not some spy pick that happened at a PGA Tour event. That's a professional yeah. photographer editing. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a marketing shot. And what was interesting is everybody was posting that picture this weekend, right? So, Tony, give them some insight on the embargo world. Tell them what an embargo is and how this spy pick thing works. I mean, how uh, do these yeah, pictures so happen? So the embargo is the date before which I'm not allowed to tell you what I know about a given product. I'm not supposed to take any pictures or post any pictures that we take, but you're allowed to use manufacturer provided pictures and whatever they say you can say before you can get out and really start talking about a product, which kind of, as you can tell, is sort of a nonsensical way to handle things. Um, but basically different companies have different approaches. Uh, some of them, you know, don't want anything out. And what Titleist has done over the last few years is sort of gotten ahead of things, right? They know product pictures are gonna leak. And so why not just be the one that puts them out there? So, you know, there's no secret that these are Titleist provided pictures. It's, it's what they want you to see. It's, it's how they start to let you know that something is coming. And then they'll talk about it in more detail as they get closer to launch or more accurately when they wanna start talking about it. Yeah, so my gospel years ago was 
we always had spy pics of products where they came out and it was a new thing and you know you get leaked photos and a lot of them were really grainy and bad and I think titles figured it out like we would rather have a very pretty looking picture true. than a grainy yeah. looking picture. That first impression, no different than when you go on your you know first Tinder date, you know, <laughs> you you know, and there's a lot of those first Tinder dates yeah. for you lately. Hey, I don't want to get catfished. I don't want to get catfished with a new title as you are. Yeah, you don't want to get a marketing shot, right? There you, go. you want the real. That's deal. Exactly, exactly what I did with my girlfriend. Well, my fiance now. You catfished her? No, I thought she was <laughs> catfishing me. Oh, you thought she was catfishing you? Yeah, when she was working for the Patriots, she, she had was, a Super Bowl ring, and the, and that's all I saw. <laughs> And then I thought, this girl is fake. So I said, you need to send me a picture right now. Right in a second. Of your face. Smart. And she turned, out, me. She turned out to be the real thing. The real deal. Yeah. Was she on the field doing the sidelines for Patriots? She was not. The, she wasn't. Also, that would have been cool, though. Well, anyway, you know, Tylus handles it this way, right? So uh, they went ahead and shot some pictures and secretly sent them out to some media. Tony just happened to get his a little bit late. Um, but nevertheless, I didn't see him before this morning, but I checked my mailbox. They were there. I just wasn't paying attention because it was a holiday. Yeah, which we is don't work on the weekends, which is kind another... of an odd time to send out what yeah. amounts to a, a press release type of thing. But hey, whatever. I'm good with it all of it. Yeah. But that all being said, a nice looking driving iron. And we do are going to have a driving iron most wanted test yep. Yep. Um, this year. So you guys will get to see and ladies will get to see how well it performed. And uh, Titles generally does really well in the high, still my favorite hybrids of all time. Um, and the driving iron should be interesting. So, yeah, I'm excited to see how they do. Yeah. Yeah. And they're moving in a more, you know, PXG ish, tailor made ish looking, you know, uh, C16 and now this with the U500. It's got a more, I don't know, what would you say that is a richer look than previous Titles? Futuristic? Futuristic? Maybe? I mean, it's just modern. evolved. How about evolved? Yeah. Go with yeah. evolved? I like that. Um, so, talking about most wanted and driving irons, we just published the best drivers for swing speeds, right? Yeah. Hold on. Are we, are we not going to talk about the hybrids? Do you want to talk about the hybrids? Well, we should mention them if we're going to talk about the, the Well, mention the hybrids. Talk about them. So, in addition, do we have, Matt, do we have pictures of the hybrids? All right, so not only did Titles come out with a driving iron, but they also released a hybrid. And Tony, what is the hybrid? So TS2 and TS3 hybrid. So following the naming conventions of the uh, the rest of the metal wood lineup, although I don't expect we'll see a, a TS4 hybrid. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, we are testing most wanted driving irons and hybrids. Hybrid testing starts in July, so everyone will get to see yep. you know, how they both perform. Yep. Um, and talking about Most Wanted, we're going to transition into the next segment, and that's Most Wanted Mondays. Obviously, this is a Tuesday based on the holiday, but we are going to have Most Wanted Mondays in our videos, and that's to kind of discuss kind of what we've tested lately, what we're getting ready to test, and what golfers should really care about when it comes to the data that gets produced inside here and the results we're finding uh, right. after a really incredibly comprehensive testing, right? So um, we just published driver breakdown by swing speed, which is the most trafficked article we have all year, which is great to see because we come out with most wanted, tells you the best driver, but then we are the only people I think that break it down also by swing speed. And Tony, why do we break, you know, driver performance and testing down by swing speed in addition to overall? I think the simple answer is it's one of the key fitting variables. So, you know, certainly we see 
when you look at the data from a full test, right, it kind of all blends together. And that's because we have, you know, swing speeds from basically the, the high 70s up to almost 130 miles an hour, right? That's the range. And so by segmenting that, you, you can start to give golfers a better idea of what might work best for them. Yeah, deeper dive into the data. Clear differences between swing speed as well for performance. There's some clear differences in the driver performance for yeah. slow and, and high swing speed. Some obviously. great stats that the average golfer probably wouldn't know is for one, the average golfer does not know that different drivers perform differently, differently different for speed, different yeah. swing speeds, yeah. which is crazy for people to hear and wrap their head around. But a driver that is ranked number one for a guy that swings this speed will be ranked not number one, maybe number 17 Correct. for a guy that swings this swing speed, right? And we learned that over years and years of testing mm -hmm. equipment. And there's 20 yards difference yeah. from worst to first. Which is a big margin. Yeah, from the, the number one driver for high swing speeds, there's 20 yards difference from shortest to longest. Mm -hmm. There's 17 yards difference from mid swing speeds. And there's nine or seven or nine yards difference for slow swing speeds. Yeah. And these categories are broken down by 70 to 95, basically, 95 to 105. And then 105 basically to 125 right. miles an hour. Um, so anyway, for any of you guys and ladies that want to see a breakdown of how the drivers in 2019 perform this year, uh, go on to My Golf Spy. It will be under the most wanted category, and you can pick which swing speed is closest to yours and yeah, find right out yep. what clubs not only went, you know, are the best overall, but which ones are the longest, which ones are the most forgiving, which ones maybe are the best value. And also, uh, how many shots did we hit this year, Sam, for most wanted driver um, testing? 9,237. Wow, he just pulled that right off the top of his head. You can write the article a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was written down somewhere. No, I mean, we, we hit a lot of shots. And we had 35 testers. I want to say there was 24, 25 drivers this year. And we did it all. But that's, yeah. that's nothing new. That's pretty much every test that we test. Yeah, any club we test it's, we have is 9,000 plus. It's up there, yeah. Yeah, so. I mean, I'm getting through game improvement. Game improvement's coming out tomorrow. We have like 10,351 or something like that. Yeah, so. and why do we hit that many shots, Tony, in a nutshell? Because you can either hit three or you can hit 10,000. There's really not much to be learned in between. Yeah. yeah, so what he means by that is, you know, a lot of video reviews you see are five shots, six shots, they move on, right? Um, the bad thing is, or good and bad thing is, if you swing exactly like that person you're watching the video of, and he hit good shots, you can learn a little bit from that. Um, but we have to hit 10,000 plus generally to get you know something that is actually real. Meaning, how is that club going to perform for all the different swing speeds, all the different angle of attacks, all the different tempos? And there's no reason to hit anything in between. It's either five shots or 10,000. We chose. 10,000. 10, <laughs> and you can you can see differences between club to club when you hit that many shots. You can start seeing little trends and little differences between sure. which makes the best become the best. Yeah, and so we have most wanted, which is an overall breadth test, mm -hmm. right? And there's value to that. Um, and Callaway Epic Flash Sub-Zero was the overall winner this year. Uh, but what was really interesting from the swing speed breakdown, one of the really cool things is Tor type drivers like Flash Sub-Zero are drivers that are generally marketed to higher swing speed golfers. And what we see year in and year out, it seems like, is that these drivers actually are the generally the best performing drivers mm -hmm. for the slowest swing speed golfers, which is not how they're marketed. So for the slowest swing speed this year, 
Epic Flash, like what are some of the drivers that finished this year in the top? Uh, for slow swing speed guys, Epic Flash Sub-Zero. Number one. Number one, which is kind of weird because you wouldn't expect a Sub-Zero driver that's designed for a low, it's lower spinning. Why do you think that is, Tony, in your opinion? I mean, we've done this for a long time. We've discussed it, obviously, at nauseum, but what do you think is causing that? Well, two factors. First of all, right, our slow starts at, like I said, the high 70s. Whereas slow, truly slow out in the real world is, is going to be a little slower than that. So we're, we're, on the, we're on the fast side of slow. That's maybe a small contributing factor to it. But the other thing is, if you look at, at the evolution of drivers, right, where the, the old sort of, you know, usually it's, we talk about these things, they're, they're low spin drivers, right? Once upon a time, the low spin driver was like this thing that launched super low and kind of even even for faster players was kind of this really flat trajectory kind of kind of flight. And so as as drivers have evolved, the center of gravities have been pushed deeper and, and lower. You're getting you're getting higher launch in these so-called players designs or low spin designs. And so even even low spin is manageable for a lot of lower swing speed guys. And the thing to keep in mind, right, you have this you have this idea of launch monitor optimal right like i want this to launch it you know a, a slower swing speed guy needs to launch it at, at 16 16 degrees and it needs to spin at least 2800 and and that's all well and good and, and there's something to that but at the end of the day that that doesn't tell you hey is this guy repeatedly hitting it in the fairway and is it and the, is it repeatedly longer than the other drivers? And so when we look at why the, the Sub-Zero performs so well for lower swing speed guys is because they still hit it long and they hit it straight. And, and I don't, you can throw, you can throw launch monitors out or launch monitor numbers to a large degree out the window. When you look at a kind of a strokes gained equation like we use, long and straight works. It, it works for everybody on almost any golf course. That's a the data that we've been collecting for ten years almost now, and the learning process we've had, you know, and the the other things that are being out there, you know, Brody's strokes gain and things like that, where you're starting to really understand what actually moves the needle and performs best, goes contrary to how the industry, which I think is one of the coolest things we've revealed here in my golf spy over the years, is that take the golf ball test that we just did. If you haven't read that and somehow live under a rock, please go look at it. Because yes. what we found was, once again, there is a type of ball that is being marketed to a type of golfer, and it's just the opposite. It's the opposite. Yeah. And when drivers with drivers, it's the same thing. We're seeing the data is proving that a driver that is built for a guy with high swing speeds, supposedly, or marketed that way, is actually the best for slower swing speeds. So it's just a cool thing that comes out of data. Right. And I think over the years, you're going to see you know, soft golf balls go away because of it. I think you're going to maybe see drivers designed differently or marketed slightly differently based on the data that comes out of this facility and other places as well. Um, so data is huge, right? Correct. Um, which also takes me to the next thing is we have most wanted, which is the overall winners. We have the breakdown by swing speeds. And then we have true golf fit. And if you haven't tried truegolffit.com, try it, you know, basically, you know, slogan is it's the worst world's first personalized golf fitting engine and it just did its 10,000th fitting uh this past week and and basically what that is is overall we'll tell you a, a basic picture swing speeds a better breakdown 
and True Golf Fit is going to tell you the number one driver for every single golfer in the world, and that's the goal of my golf spy. We're going to eventually get to being able to tell every golfer what the number one product is for every single person, yeah. and that way you're making the best you know, buying decisions, hopefully. And if you want to still buy something that's cool, by all means, you know? So next up is your category. Yeah. Um, Harry's the director of soft good testing, and he just finished up range finders. An interesting category. So for you guys that remember when we did the Kirkland golf ball test a few years ago, um, that kind of knocked this domino down, and all of a sudden there was like fleas coming out of a dog that you know had been at the pound for a while. Uh, there's all these golf ball companies coming out with a new logo smacked on some other body else's ball from overseas. Yep. And the same thing seems to be happening with range finders. Correct. So this year, tons of new range finders, lots of new social influencers pushing those range finders. And what we find is the majority of those range finders are somebody else's range finder with some new logo strapped yes. on it. And why we tell you that is because there's, you know, range finders are a category not many people pay attention to, not many people know what's better than this or that. So there's a lot of confusion around these new names that you're hearing. Um, at the end of the day, there's some definitive leaders in the category, um, and you know you can take it from here. I mean, who's the clear leader this year? Uh, this year, Bushnell. Yeah. And they're always up there every single year. Um, Why do you think that is? They're dedicated to rangefinders. Their tolerances are so they're spot on every single time. They are one of the best rangefinders, and they have been for years. Well, they've got. You know, Accuracy is fantastic. Yeah. The optics are unbelievable. Um, they're coming out with new features pretty much in every model. They're always year. the envelope pusher. For sure. And then there's the people that kind of follow behind yeah. them, like with the jolt when it first came out. There was everybody that did yeah. that. And now um, they got the visual jolt on this one. They've got a magnet on the side. Which everybody kind of Everybody did kind year. of did the same thing, but they're still trying to push the envelope every year. So Bushnell, clear leader, right? Um, and last year was kind of an outlier with Nikon when they put that new stable, you know, stability yep. tech in. If you take that out, Bushnell wins pretty much every year. Every year, yes. Uh, also, there, if you're just looking for the best bang for the buck range finder, mm -hmm. there's one by a new company, well, not new, but Decathlon. Uh, it's kind of the France, or Dick's of France. Yes, kind of, yes. Dick's Sporting Goods of France. Yes. And uh, <laughs> they've got a product called Enesis, and their range finder ball shoe has done well this year, and I think those came in at 199 Yeah, Enesis 900 is the 199. And Precision Pro is always kind of in that. You yeah, know, Precision Pro is pretty, very good too. For that price point. And then, you know, we have a product spotlight, which is, what is it, the Garmin? It's the Garmin, yeah. This one right here, the Z80. So I don't know if anybody has ever heard of this thing, but when it first came in last year, it's probably got the most eyeballs widened in this facility. Yeah, I mean, it's, got, it's got a digital display, which depending on your preference, you might like, you might hate. For us, for the optics, it was kind of like a little bit blurry because you couldn't, it wasn't as clear and precise as the optics you see on everyone else. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty sweet. You I mean, you have the whole layout on the left-hand side, and then when you get up to the green, you have the green layout with the old bunkers, the front, middle, back, and the actual yardage. Yeah, so the biggest difference is usually when you look in a rangefinder, it is kind of like what binoculars, right? Yeah. You see what you see. With this, it's a digital display, so you can actually zoom in, zoom out. It displays the golf course on the left, which is really cool. I think they're, they're a couple years maybe away from knocking it out of the park, but once they do... Yeah, once they do, this, is, this could be taken ambitional. Yeah, yeah, it's a great product. Um, and then, Tony, which, which product do you like the most? You were wanting the Bushnell, right? 
Oh yeah, yeah. I I love give me give me all the toys, all the bells and whistles. Yeah, absolutely. The one the one thing I will mention is when you get out on the course, if you have a red display and you're colorblind, it kind of blends in a little bit. Um, one of my testers and a friend at my club, he has the Bushnell XE, and he finds it hard to actually look and see the actual number. He has to go hit the flag and go across, and then it still pops up. So he has to, you have to be careful. I mean, if you're if you're colorblind, you just have to be. Does that one not switch colors? Because I have the it, Bushnell from last. year. This is year. the only model that does not switch colors. Yeah, because I had the winner Bushnell from last year, or one of the top finishers from last year, and it you could switch from the black and white color or the black which is great digital. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting they wouldn't put that in the leading. For some reason, this is product. the only one that they haven't done. I guess you, it's a trade-off. You get temperature and barometric pressure, and then you yep. get... <laughs> but, yeah, that's true. I mean, look, no, if, you, no, if you're just be. looking for the best gadget this year for range runners, the, the Bushnell uh, Pro XE is the yeah, one to go it's with. it's money. Um, that being said, like, rangefinders are something we, we hear a lot of people saying, hey, which is the best rangefinder? They don't know a whole lot about... They just assume they're all the same, right? right? So if you're trying to tell somebody what they should really care most about, and they're looking at rangefinders today or tomorrow mm -hmm. or next week, and they're in the market for one. What do you think is most important for people looking for a new rangefinder? Confidence. You have to, if you pick up a, a rangefinder and you're hitting a target and it's going 56, 57, 58, 60 after like five goes, you're not going to be confident on hitting that target. So you're, you're questioning what club you should hit. If you pick up a rangefinder and it hits the same number within a yard every time, that gives you confidence. So you yeah. see there's a difference when you test them. Massive difference. Massive and, difference. And people will say that there is no difference because everyone's the same. But I guarantee, and I've proven it, tolerances are different when it comes to rangefinder to rangefinder. Yeah. And not just that, but everything. Optics. I mean, uh, yes. I mean, when you look in there, some are kind of cloudy and small. Some yeah. are really bright and brisk. And, and then there's some, there's some out there that within the display, you have numbers popping up everywhere and symbols and it just kind of confuses you it doesn't you, you're not yeah. you're simple right. display some of them are very user friendly like very. there is a there is a science to where and how you put, place Correct. those numbers in there for the people that look yeah. in them and it is interesting how people lay them out some of them you just don't even pay attention to and see some of them you they've put in the right places Correct. and once again bushnell they're just phenomenal they get it right you know yeah. and there's nothing worse than pulling out your rangefinder next to your buddy and you pull out 162 and he's like i think it's 157 and you're just like i don't even know what it is now and yeah i i check with the rangefinder every time it doesn't matter who's in my group not that i think they're lying to me but just because i want to double check and make sure that my rangefinder because i know because i have a bush now it's good yeah that i know that distance is going to be what it is yeah well um, talking about um rangefinders and gadgets and tech right there's a new uh gps system oh, that no, came yeah. out that yeah, Garmin G80. G80, yeah. So for those that aren't familiar, tell them what that is and why they should give a damn about this new product. Uh, what isn't in this product, you know? So you have the, the typical GPS, um, which you get find in any GPS model. But then you have a built-in launch monitor, pretty much. in. Pretty cool. And a little yeah, mini and cell phone. You yeah, just you put rest it, the golf ball on this and sets it up beside the ball. Yeah, a you foot. put it in within a foot, and it's very, very accurate. The distance is estimated, and the state is estimated, but 
the ball, ball speed speeds were bang on when we right when on. we just tested it on yeah, the were, on the GC quad. They were exactly the same as the Force. Um, now time. I would like to test it outdoors with the GC quad to see if there's any differences. But it was very very surprising that it was bang on. Well, once again, it comes back to trust, right? And Tony and I have seen kind of this transition of this new personal launch monitor thing, right? I mean, look, Foresight's cost a lot of money. Trackman costs a lot of money. The average person is not putting these in their home. Mm -hmm. um, so now there's these personal launch monitors that are between $250 and $500, which is awesome, right? Uh, but what if they're 10 yards off, 12 yards off? What is that really doing for you if yeah. you can't trust that number? It's confusing. Exactly. So what I would say so far is price point wise, it's it's two devices into one. How much is it? It's four forty nine. Four nine nine ninety nine. Okay, so it's competitive with all the other personal launch monitors, and it's got a GPS. And you get GPS. Yep, you get to see the layout of the hole. I mean, it brings up your clubhead speed, your ball speed, your swing tempo, your smash factor, and then it has forty one thousand courses already preloaded on there. Yeah, we've so, done some testing with other personal launch monitors, and ball speeds haven't usually been that bang on with with foresight. And the problem is most people pay attention to one thing on a launch monitor. Distance. Distance. And, you know, the distances were not the same as the foresight on this. That is a fact. You know? I would assume that their algorithms are, would be inherently different just because They're not getting has... all the information. Exactly. Yeah. So, it'll be interesting to see. You know, yeah. Because I'm looking forward to putting it into the test and, and seeing how it, how it fares against one yeah. 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 Tony, have you tried any? You've tried the Mevo, right? Just Mevo, yeah. It's the last one. I'm actually, the only one I, uh, I experimented with. They all have kind of their ups and downs, right? The Mevo, you got to put a sticker on the ball, and you know the voice caddy seems to be not as accurate. Um, you know they haven't really figured it out yet, and you know, do you think they'll ever figure it out based on the technology you have to have? Yeah, maybe, right? I think, I maybe in a camera, a small compact camera system, right? As cool. cameras get smaller, maybe. Uh, I'm, I'm less convinced you're going to be able to do it with radar. Yeah, that's pretty. That's Good interesting point. because the cameras are getting pretty damn small. You would think they would maybe move towards like a mini foresight, you know? Yeah, pretty cool. I think. Yeah, you know, and who knows, right? There's we haven't seen anything, so I'm not I'm not teasing you guys or anything. But at some point, foresight may decide to jump into that consumer market as well. So it'd be interesting to see what they could do with smaller cameras or a smaller device or something like that. But, and they might be doing that already, but just behind the scenes, I'm not, yeah, we, don't not, we don't know anything about it. Well, I wish we would have had this out there watching Sam uh, play at the Pure Silk Pro-Am because uh, he was dropping bombs out there. And he was hitting dingers. Yes, he was. And, um, you know, how was your experience out there overall? Like, what do, you, what do you think about it? It was one of the coolest experiences on a golf course I've ever had. I mean, it was, it was kind of interesting. You know, I'm thinking about, I, I keep thinking about this day over and over again and replaying it and getting to the first tee. And we kind of rushed to the first tee because we went to the range and then went to the putting green. And then seven, I think we went off at 7.50, so 7.48 rolls around and Chuck and I walked over there and Laura Davies is just standing right there. And I like basically just pushed people out of the way and walked to the first tee and then grabbed my driver and off we went. And we didn't have a, I think we met our, our, our walking caddy who, who drove the cart on the, you know, on the first tee, so that was kind of, it was all so quick. It happened so fast. Well, the cool part for us to watch was that, especially if it's LPGA, but plus Pro-Am, you get to get so close and intimate with, you know, obviously we know you, but we were inside the ropes the whole day. You're getting to talk with Laura Davies and the caddy, and I don't know, the women's golf was just, 
they were more per, they were more a little more personable. Yeah. How they approach the game is very similar to how we approach our games, and meaning they're not just bombing out there and hit wedge, bombing out there hit right. wedge. They're having to hit shots that you and I got to hit every round, right? And their thought process was very interesting to hear, and the clubs they put in their bag. Yeah, that was one of the coolest things about it was we. We played with Laura Davies on the front nine. She plays Lynx golf clubs. Legend. Hilarious. I mean, just she's one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. She was ragging on Chuck the whole time. She was. Uh, Chuck was my playing partner, and it was so much fun. And then we got to the back nine and played with Caroline Masson, who's, you know, 25 years younger than her. You know, not I wouldn't call her a tour veteran, but she's been out there for some years. I think it was her seventh year on tour. Yeah. But how they approached the practice round was so different. Laura Davies, if one of us made the putt, man, she just walked off to the next hole and teed it up. This ain't her first rodeo. This ain't her yeah. first rodeo. And then Caroline Masson, you know, make the putt, and she would grab her wedge and go hit shots from the bunker. Well, here's and, here's and how different they putts. are. Here's how different they are. Laura Davies still uses a grass tee. Yes, that was still does it too. I got a lot of tweets about that. People were asking me, does she actually use the grass tee? And we're standing on a par three, and you know, I'm expecting her to like lean down and stick a tee in the ground. She just whacks her dag on. Uh, her, her iron, yeah, that's literally what she did. She whacks her iron there, puts it right, puts the ball right on the ground, and just hits it. I'm yeah. not gonna lie, that's that's an English that's thing. English I do thing, that. Yeah. <laughs> when you hit a knockdown shot, she wants to hit the back of the ball and then hit the ground. That's just up a little bit, so you actually hit the back of the ball and the ground, so you you can control the trajectory yeah. a little bit easier than off a tee. Well, was she pure with her irons, man? She plays a three-yard draw with her driver and like a three-yard, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, a three-yard fade with her, her driver and a three-yard draw with her irons, and it just sounds crispy every time. Well, that's pretty cool. So many people are asking, did she play with a grassy, grassy? And I'm like, what the hell are they asking this for? And that's what it looks like right there. Yeah. Um, so pretty cool to see. Yeah, there's and a picture. Interesting to talk to them, too. So walking down the fairway, talking to her, and just saying, hey, you know, obviously this is a local tournament for us. The Kings Mill Pure Silk yeah. uh, Championship is in our backyard. So I was just interested to hear, how do you like this course compared to other ones you play? And, you know, over the years I've heard so many people say this is our favorite, it's our favorite. And you don't know how much of that is just them trying to say nice things. But once you hear it year after year, you start diving a little deeper say, is that really? And they're like, yeah, this is the only course that's really set up the way the way we like a good test yeah yeah it's a good test and they say a lot of the other courses that we play are kind of mickey mouse courses you know what what do you mean by that you know they're just not nice courses and you dig a little bit deeper a little bit deeper and you get to this point where you realize that there aren't a lot of similarities between men and women's golf other than that they're mm -hmm. both hitting a ball yeah and um and i don't think the average person understands that you know and it's interesting because we have a new writer anya alvarez that we're trying to really elevate the discussion around women's golf in general and why it is the way it is and you know you know uh, it was pretty disturbing for for those of you out there that don't think i guess that think there's equality when it comes to men and women's golf there was a sorely mistake oh my gosh it's bad my wife is a college coach and i showed her a comment that popped up after an article we published um and what does it read? So basically, Matt, can you shrink that? Oh, yeah. Okay. There you go. So this comment popped up after the article. So it was about women playing golf and, you know, da da da. And it said, could it be women don't like spending two to five hours of the week in playing golf? They traditionally are taking care of family, running errands, et cetera, may not be worth it to them. And just let that sink in for a minute. And think about 
This comment went on, and this wasn't the only comment like no, this. No, there's quite a few. That guy was defending himself hard. Well, not only him. I mean, there were, you look at our Instagram posts, our Twitter posts, our Facebook posts. This oh, was, people were ripping it to shreds. This was not an outlier. No, not at all. So this is the world we live in, and I kind of wanted to get everybody's opinion on how do we grow women's game and get to a point where they're treated equally? And Tony, do you even think that's ever going to be a possibility in our lifetime? <laughs> I don't know. I'm getting kind of old. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd like to say so, but it's. It, I mean, look at us. We're we're four guys talking about the problem with women's golf, and so that's you know that's part of the problem, right? Is the lack of female voices in general being given equal time? And I think bigger picture, still, it starts with the right people giving a shit, right? I mean, you can't improve something until enough people or the right people give a shit. And so that means, you know, if you, you want to talk about how the networks cover it, right? It means no, if, if you're on NBC, right? You don't cut to golf channel because the tournament's running longer and you need to get, you know, you need to get to something else that has higher ratings, right? There's, it, it needs to be treated the same. You don't, you don't cut away from men's golf at, at six o'clock, right? With two holes left to play, you don't cut away from it because 60 minutes is going to be on or something like that. So you need to have kind of the same ground rules for the broadcast. You need to have the same type of promotion. And if that happens and you elevate it that way, maybe you start getting bigger purses, more sponsorships, things like that. Yeah. I mean, PXG's done a pretty interesting thing. Uh, they get bashed a lot, but I can tell you what. Um, he puts his money where his mouth is when it comes to supporting women's golf and growing the game, you know? And um, I wish more people would do that. So what do you think around the table? What do you think? Can be, I mean, do you ever think this is going to happen in our lifetime? And if so, like, what can be done, in your opinion, to make any type of positive change? I mean, for me, it's personally, it's speaking up when, you know, you get, you get in a group of guys that you don't usually play with. And at my private club, we don't have a ton of women that play golf. Uh, there's a group of ladies that do, and they're actually phenomenal golfers, and we all respect the hell out of them. But you go to your local muni, and you get with a group of guys, you get paired with guys you don't usually play with, and they're like, oh, great, we're stuck behind a group of ladies. And it's the first thing you hear. And, and how do you think that makes a woman feel when they go in the pro shop to go play golf? And they get intimidated that they can't, you know, they have to be around that. And I, and I would be the first one to say, piss off, because everybody is out there for the same goal but a different reason most ladies are out there to have fun with their girls let's play some golf there's there's girls that can that compete just as well but everybody is out there to play golf but to also have fun and if golf's fun for you why why can't it i mean why can't we provide that for everybody that's exactly they what I'm have saying. as much fun right so there's a what, saying what are, you, are you saying running errands isn't fun <laughs> <laughs> there's a saying that i've been told that is around that I'd never heard of, which I think is interesting. And they say the golf industry, old, pale, and stale. Yeah. And uh, this is a that tweet is a perfect example of that. And you know, times are changing, so change your watch. Because uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I I played Saturday and played behind some ladies. Did not see him for the rest of the round. Most of the time, oh, no. they smoke they, us. They are yeah. fast. They they. And just, you know why they're fast? Because they, they know yeah. people. And that's a shame. You know, a, they feel like really they have shame. to play fast. Well, they're also aware of what pace of play is, and you got guys out there that are so stupid. They they think they're better than what they are. And women understand that there is a pace of play guidelines, and you follow that, and then everybody's happy. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what, if it's fun for us, 
we should well, provide yeah, should that fund for anybody else. Or they should be able to do it too. So, um, by the way, U.S. one's open this week. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a big FYI. one. It's a good one. Yeah. Caroline Nassam will be in the field. Yeah, yeah she, she finished top ten top in your 10, tournament. Right? Yeah, she did really well. She's got a good game, and you know, you're talking about how her clubs a lot. You know, they're they they don't they're not playing blades. She's no. got G four tens in her long irons. I thought that was so cool, and like. You know, we walked up and saw she was a ping staffer and saw all the ping clubs in her bag. I was like, man, I've hit G4. Laura Davies was playing a Lynx driver from like 1912. I yeah. Think. yeah. So it's a long, She's yeah. playing cavity back irons too, man. I know, but the, she doesn't even have the newest driver. I mean, the equipment thing, even for them, it's interesting to see that pros, everyone thinks that every pro is out there dialed to the nines. Yep. And that's just not the case, you know? Um, there are a lot of pros out there, and you go down even one small level where you're at your level, you know, golfer of the year, All-American, and even you had not been fit for a putter, a driver, or anything, which for right. me blows my mind. But we see it every day, so we know it's the norm. Uh, but get fit, right? Because you dropped three yes. strokes for putting uh, and gained, yeah. I don't even know, 30, 40. You're competing with Jamie Sadlowski for driving for long drives. Well, now. his was built for accuracy. You were, hitting at <laughs> you were hitting at 280 when you came here. I was 280, yeah. yeah was you were hitting at 345. There, yeah. there was a world where I was longer than Harry Nodwell. And that, that world has come and gone, but there was a day where I used to outdrive you. Yes. We are I, not, we're not big into vlogs, but I cannot wait to see a vlog where you guys play each other. We, we need to, we need yeah. to get a game, game together and, yeah. See, yeah. and see what happens. We need to get that old link. <laughs> Tony, Tony we, could, we would invite you, but we know it wouldn't be competitive. <laughs> we'll give you some shirts <laughs> on each side. You would need to give me so many strokes, you would be so frustrated. You'd need to make birdies to win. <laughs> Stay hot. All Stay right, hot. so that brings us to the last and final segment, and that is one of my favorites. It's called <laughs> Why You Suck at Golf. And I've always wanted to write this book because, in my opinion, uh, we have a big debate around here. And it's, are golfers the smartest dumb people or the dumbest smart people? Generally speaking, they are more educated, uh, they make more money than the general public, yet you put a golf club or a magazine in their hand, golf magazine, and their brain turns to shit, mm -hmm. right? And today, why you suck at golf, reason number 1,372 is, it's called the digest disorder. And what we mean by that is, uh, on page 17, you'll read a magazine that tells you to do this, and on page 92, you read the exact opposite. And I'll give you a great example. My dad was, what I say, had the flu or the bug, meaning he caught the golf bug, and he was sick with it, you know, every day. And he'd call me and say, hey, let's go play golf. And I'd say, no, no thanks, you know. Come on, we're going to play. I, I, I figured it out. What would you figure out? Figured the whole game out. What do you mean? I just read this tip, you know. And literally this was pretty much every weekend of my life for 20 years. And to the point where I, I wrote an article, the man with 500 swings is a man with no swing. And the reason what, and what that means is the, the magazines, for the most part, are filling space, you know? They have to fill pages, and they're filling it with a lot of educational stuff. Right. And if, I feel like if you're looking at a magazine for a swing, you're in trouble, you know? Um, because there are so many different tips and advice that you could get from them that it's really hard from, you know, they say that it takes 10,000 hours to do something to be an expert at, right? right. So I tell this to Tony all the time. Tony's a really smart person, one of the smartest people I've ever met. And he will change gear. And I'm like, well, did you even, you, you got to stick with that. I'm becoming an expert at that club. You know, no, 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 no. We're on to the next club. We're on to the next club. And 
I don't know if golfers are doing that for a built-in excuse so they can say it was the club's fault or it's just because they like to tinker or they don't realize that you should probably just focus on one swing, right? One type of club and just become an expert at those things and just watch how much more you'll improve than constantly changing. So what do you think about that philosophy, Tony, of kind of the digest disorder and golfers looking for cures and magazines and totally ripping down their swing and building it back up week after week after week. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it, I guess is what I would say. But not that not that I've settled, uh, found a great solution either, but I mean, look, if if you're if you're serious about improving, I think we all know that that working with an instructor is the way to do that and everything else is just noise, even even new clubs. So wait a minute. Sometimes. Did you just sometimes. say that? No, sometimes, sometimes a new club works. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people are, are trying to get a quick fix kind of thing. Well, and it might be a new club. Cause but let's get seen... back to that. You know, why do golfers think, take those same golfers and get, pull them off the golf course. And let's say they're doing a business decision, right? Where they've got to make a business decision. You present them with rational, logical information. Mm -hmm. And they base that inf off that. If I say, hey, let's do this crazy thing over here this magazine told you. And it's going to do great work for your business, you know? And there's no... There's no evidence that it actually will help. They would not do that in business. Correct. But you put them on a golf course by a guy on a range that just hit pipe two drives on a driving range that's 100 yards wide, and they go, "What drive are you playing? Oh, I'm playing that new whatever." And they're like, "Man, I'm going to the drive. I'm going to the pro shop by that thing." <laughs> we have a tester who has a son who's a very good golfer, and his. I heard a story the other day where this tester saw somebody. They were at a junior golf tournament. The tester saw another kid who had their new Ping G410 driver. Hit it very well. He saw him hit three drives, and he said, "We're gonna go by that driver." And in the middle of the tournament, day one, done. Kid hit the driver bad. Ping G four ten in his bag the next day. Yeah. So look, like we said when you were playing in the tournament, people are in the zone when they're what super confident and thinking very few yep. things, right? So the less things you're thinking, the better generally golfers do. We know that. Your brain can only do one thing at a time. It can't multitask. Mm -hmm. So by reading magazines and taking 15 different tips to the course is counterproductive in my opinion. So Looking at other people for club advice, thinking, oh, if he hits the driver well, I should hit it well too. That's not how it works. Look, get data and back, back it off data. Cause I'm a firm believer in one percenters, man. Like get one percent better every day. Mm -hmm. And that's all you can really expect, right? Mm -hmm. Can't expect to change your game overnight. Um, so anyway, that's it for today and no putts given. We hope you enjoyed it. If there's any type of topics that you think we should cover next week, for all ears, let us know. Until then, we'll see you next time.